here. So one, if you saw me preach last time, you saw how this thing just constantly caused problems. Matthew said, tape it to your head, and that'll work better. <laughs> so we'll see how that goes. Um, it is taped to my head, so if you're over here and you see that part, don't panic. It's, yeah, I don't have some sort of weird thing going on my head. So see how that works. Um, second thing I want to mention as well is, again, is reminder or, or, or appreciation. Last week I had this thing prepared. Colossians chapter 3 is one of my favorite passages in the Bible. There's some just beautiful truths in there. I had all this stuff worked on, prepared. And then last minute it's like, I can't come. Hey, can someone else cover for me? And Judson said, sure. And so Judson last minute had to kind of throw something together there. And I appreciate him filling in there. And I know just from experience, if you don't know this part, preparing a sermon usually takes a lot of time. You want to spend a lot of time in that. And I gave him very little time. And so I appreciate him filling in there. And he covered some parts of this passage for us last week well. I want to look at some bigger stuff as well, some more, the, the whole passage in some capacity as well. So Colossians chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible, insert some phrase here to motivate you to bring your Bible next time. I'll leave that one to you. If you don't have a Bible, get your phone out, Colossians chapter 3 ESV, and you can follow along pretty easily there. But Colossians chapter 3. As we've been seeing in Colossians, what, what's going on is the people don't have a correct view of God, of Christ, and they don't have a correct view of themselves because of it. As we'll see, even in Colossians 3, it's important to know who you are. Amen. And Paul's been building up here, helping us to see who Christ is in Colossians 1 and some in 2. And now he's beginning to get into Colossians 3, where he's going to start to tell us now how that impacts our lives in terms of our personal, who we are personally, and how that plays itself out in the day-to-day. But Colossians chapter 3. I'm going to read Colossians 3. Before I read, I want to ask you a question. Do you struggle with sin? Do you wrestle with your weaknesses? Do you feel that tug with temptation? Do you feel that pressure? You know what you should do, but you know that you don't want to do it. Most of us in here, probably all of us in here, are like me. It's a daily struggle. Even this morning, preparing this sermon, spending time in devoted prayer time, on my knees praying for this sermon, the most, quote, spiritual moment of my day, it seems like, and I'm wrestling with ulterior motives. And I'm wrestling with wanting to say something to impress you. If I can't get it right in that moment, what hope do I have the rest of my life? Just one. It's Jesus. Okay? So as we look at the passage here, I want you to think about, do you wrestle with sin? Do you struggle? Do you feel that pressure, that tension? And if you do, what do you do about it? What hope do you have? What does the Bible say? Where do you go? Let me read Colossians chapter 3. 1 through 11. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth, for you have died 
and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, you will also appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is neither Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is all and in all. Let's pray. Father, this is your word. These are your people. This is your time. May you be glorified. Amen. All right. So, in this idea, to understand, we saw in here he's going to discuss some stuff with sin, some issues we have that we all know we wrestle with. But he doesn't just say, stop. What Paul does here a lot of times throughout, now the tape's bothering me, Matthew, so thanks a lot for that. I'm just kidding. No, I'm just kidding. No, it's all right. It'll be all right. No, I'm just kidding. It's better than before. By the way, it's more distracting for you than it is for me, so don't worry about me, okay? I watched the sermon later on, and I was like, man, that's distracting. But I wasn't that much of a problem when I was preaching, so don't worry about me. But Paul does something a lot of times in Scripture, and it's actually a lot in Scripture in general, but, we, but Paul's very clear on this. It's this idea of the indicative imperative. There you go, sir. All right. The indicative is this idea of who you are. Who you are. An imperative is this idea of what you do. And I put these up here because I want you to see those two terms. If you've had a class with me as before, I've used them before. But it's something, I didn't make this stuff up, it's something I've heard that's very helpful. It's this idea that you have to know who you are before you know what to do. Let me give you an illustration. Let's say I say to Sarah, my daughter. Hey, Sarah, she's going to love this. All right, Sarah, pick up your clothes, all right? So I gave her a command. But she sits there for a while, which happens sometimes, right? And I go, Sarah, I told you to pick up your clothes. What if she said to me, oh, I thought I was Rebecca. <laughs> you see what happened? It's a silly illustration, but you see the point. She didn't know who she was, so she wouldn't know what to do. It's important that we, first of all, understand who we are, the indicative. And then from the indicative flows this imperative, what to do. So let's first of all look at that. Look in, I want to show you some stuff here. Look in verse 9. We're going to work a little bit around here in the text. But I want us to look and work backwards here a little bit. This idea of indicative. Who are you? Paul says in verse 9, put off, sorry, you have put off the old self. Verse 10, and you have put on the new self. So first of all, you've got to understand if you are putting your faith and trust in Christ alone for your salvation, you are, by these passages, a new person. Not just a better person, a new 
person. Okay? It says you have put off the old self. You have put on the new self. A past experience, a change, a transformation from an old self, even in verse 1, or verse 3, died, back to chapter 2, died, in verse 1, raised. So we'll see that part in a minute as well. Old self dead, new self raised, but a transformation. I'll give you an illustration here. I'm going to pick on my brother here. The other day I was hearing stories of, uh, of guys we're working with right now for training and stuff. And Ben, where'd Ben go? He's about there. Okay, good. And Ben, at the end of his story, said this phrase that I've shared with him so he, he'll know, okay? I get grace. At that point, I was, it's just sound odd, I was in love. I mean, I was just like, this is a man after my heart. Amen. And that one phrase, he, he completely explained the Bible. I get grace. If you know his story, and if you don't, ask him. If you know his story, he had some rough situations, some, made some bad decisions. Things were not good. And God grabbed him, changed him. Amen. I think about another brother sitting over here. Told me the same, his story as well. Again, if you don't know the story, ask him. Same story. Some bad decisions, some bad situations, and God changed him. Willie talked about being a different person. The old self was gone. The new self has come. Do you know why? He amens so much in the sermon because he gets this. He gets that he's a new person. All that old crap is gone. Thank you, Jesus. I hear you, brother. That's what we're talking about. An old self gone. A new self that has come. Transformation. I hear people sometimes say to me, I'll talk about this a little bit, whatever, and they'll go, yeah, yeah. I need to get back in church. No, that's not the answer. It's not the answer. Come, be a part of the church. Praise the Lord. Amen to that for sure. But if your thought, if your solution to life's problems is to get back in church, you've got zero clue what the Bible says. None. And I'm not being mean. I'm trying to help. If you haven't yet, you will at some point try to make yourself better. And it works sometimes for a short period of time. And then you go right back to it. You've got to be changed, transformed. Something outside of you, resurrected. What is this old self? Well, look here in verse 5. He gives us some examples here. Sexual immorality impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness. He mentions some as well in verse 8. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk, lying to one another. Look in verse 7. He says, because a lot of us wrestle with this stuff still, but he says in verse 7, in these things you once walked, living in them. See, the old self is someone who lives his entire life in those categories. 
For the Christian, that's not where we live. It's where I sometimes go hang out for a little while. It's a vacation spot sometimes, but it's not where I live. The old self is someone who really only has one desire, and that's to gratify their own desires, their own personal wants. That's it. They once walked in these things. And that's, again, where Paul says to these people, you were like this. You were. You're not now. Who is the new self? I'll let Matthew handle that a little more next week. That's going to be the next part of the passage in verses 12 and on. But the new self is someone who has been, again, transformed to look like Christ, what, what Judson talked about a lot last week, looking like Jesus. Now, so we know the past event, old self, new self. The new self will look like something, but let's even go deeper. Who is this new person? It's someone, yes, who will make good, better decisions, who will wrestle with sin, but make but move in the direction towards Christ. But look now at the most, one of the most glorious passages in the Scripture, 1 through 4. The new self is this. Someone, look, listen to this passage again. I just got to read it again. If you have been raised with Christ, new self, raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Where is Jesus right now, according to this passage? Answer out loud. At the right hand of God. Let's look at in verse 3. You have died, goes to the raised part, and your life is where? Hidden? Where? With Christ. If you haven't made the connections yet, brothers and sisters, I'll do it for you. Verse 1, Jesus is at the right hand of God. Verse 3, you are hidden with Christ in God. Where does that mean you are right now? You don't believe it, do you? I don't. But we should. That's the point. We just don't believe that sometimes. This, this passage is saying that your reality is so much more with Christ in God than you are in this room. Amen. Do you see that? Amen. If I said, where are you? You're going to go, I'm sitting in a, a chair. I'm sitting at home. No. That's number two. Sure, that's where you are second. Where are you? If you are trusting in Christ alone for your salvation, you are hidden with Christ in God at His right hand. Amen. I gotta get more tape, right? Hidden with Christ. In God. If we believe that, what would it do? If we really believe that, what would it do? Well, he said it. It would change us. When I wrestle with sin, it's really because I don't believe this. You see? Now, if we know who we are, if we realize we are hidden with Christ in God, in verse 4, Christ is your life. Amen. 
Then he says, okay, knowing this, knowing that you're, the old is gone, the new has come, knowing that you're hidden with Christ in God, knowing that Christ is your life, that's who you are, then he says, stop doing wrong things. He gives you an imperative. He gives you a command. But the command was only based because it only works when you know who you are. So he says, you know, to put to death. See, now in verse 5, notice that he doesn't just say, you're with Christ and God, so stop worrying about it. Stop trying. Don't mess with it. Just live. Don't worry. He doesn't. There, there is two parts, right? Know who you are, and now do something. Well, he's taught us again in this story about how after being transformed, he had to still make some decisions. He had to get involved with Celebrate Recovery and make some different friends and be around people that would help and encourage him. See, being in Christ does not give you an excuse to not follow God's will. Here's the beauty. Here's the, here's the phrase that's been on my mind for the past couple of weeks. You are free to not sin. You are free to not sin. The old self only did what was wrong. Even when it did, quote, good things, they were always for wrong motives. Now you're in Christ and you're free to not sin. That's what's supposed to happen. You think about that. I'll tell you one of my problems lately, and I've got, I can put all these categories, I can give you a list, let's don't do that. But I'll tell you one that's been on my mind a lot lately. I have a real tendency to complain. Things aren't going my way right now. Whatever that even means, right? They never go our ways. Come on, we're not, let's, let's, let's be real. They're not going my, our way right now, and I complain. God, what about this? Well, you've messed up my plans. What about this? And I complain. And I complain to other people. Why do I do that? Because I'm hoping that deep down they will feel sorry for me. They will give me some pity. They will, oh, that's so rough, Keith. I feel so bad for you. And I'll feel happy for a moment. You see what's going on? I'm complaining because I really want to get you to feel bad for me so I can feel good for me for a moment. You see what happened? My sin was really about me trying to make myself happy. But what if, what if I understood that I was seated at the right hand of God? And everything I could possibly ever want was at my disposal. Romans 8 says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not with him freely give us all things? Amen. I am sitting 
at the right hand of God. When I have a need, I just turn. Hey, Dad. Father, can you help me? He has put me in a position of honor. The right hand, think about that, that, that the old picture. He's my right hand man. That, that's a position of honor and authority and, and, and glory. And the Father, God of the universe, has looked down upon old self people and forgiven them in Christ, raised them from the dead, put them at his right hand, and I still try to get my happiness through all these foolish ways. I don't know who I am. That's the reason that I sin. I still figure, think, I've got this better figured out. If I just do the things I want to do, the way I want to do them, I'll be happy. How's that worked out for you? And yet the funny thing is, we have failed at that process thousands of times, and yet we'll try it again tomorrow. Because we don't know who we are. We try to fix our own lives. doesn't work. And if you don't know Jesus, friends, again, better coming back to church doesn't do any good. If you don't know Christ, listening to the commands doesn't do you any good. The, the picture there, there was a, a, story, a story from C.S. Lewis tells a story about his conversion. He said, I thought that Jesus was going to come in to my, to my life. He, 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 he used the illustration of a house come into my life like come into a house and would fix some pictures on the wall and maybe redo some furniture a little bit here and there maybe do a little bit of painting he would come in there and kind of touch up my life because it wasn't quite what it should be he says in the picture I finally realized was that Jesus comes in and tears the house down and then says he goes Jesus what are you doing he goes I don't live in houses I'm a king I live in castles and this has got to go Friends, if you don't know Christ, you got to go. You got to get that house. You got to get that stuff gone. You got to turn it over. That's what repentance means to turn from something to something. But if you do know Christ, you are a new person. What you've got to continue to do now is not, first of all, try harder. First of all, know who you are. You're in Christ at the right hand of the Father. That is your reality. That is your identity. That is who you are right now, not who you will be. It says right now. And that impacts your desires. It impacts your abilities. And now, again, you're free to not sin. Now you can begin to put off those things. Put to death, verse 5, those things. Those things, by the way, friends, are so bad, verse 6 says God's wrath will fall upon them. So this passage is not designed to make you think less of your sin, to think more of it, to think how bad it is, to turn you back towards Christ, to beg and plead and pray 
and ask for him to work in your heart. But friends, he's already put you at his right hand. You think he's not going to help you fix your sin? That's what he wants to see. He wants to see you like himself, holy and righteous in all things. Verse 10, that new self is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. See, we're going to struggle. There's a process going on. I wish, I've got a friend of mine who keeps asking, why do I struggle with sin so much? And my answer is, I don't know, because I do the same thing, right? And I keep telling my friend, it's a process. I don't know why God does it this way. It would be easier in my mind if you just fix the problem right now, right? Hey, God, can we fix this sin? Done. I do have one idea why. If he fixed everything on the spot, I would become so arrogant. And so he does, is he goes a process, and a slow process, and fixes some sins here, and leaves some alone temporarily to keep me depending upon him and trusting him and going back to because you see friends the ultimate goal of Jesus is not to make us like him it's to make us know him and love him and trust him and worship him and then one day one day I look forward to this day one day he'll return or I'll go home and he'll fix it all that time and I'll sing his praises forever Verse 11. Not, no Greeks or Jews, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, but Christ is all and in all. Here's the beauty. It doesn't matter if you're young, old, black, white, male, female. It doesn't matter. What I just shared is for everybody. Anyone can repent and put their faith in Christ. But you have to. These truths are not for you if you're not in the kingdom. If you're not his child, you're not the right hand. You're still in verse 6, awaiting his wrath. And if you don't repent, you'll suffer that. I'm not trying to scare you, but I'm trying to scare you. Right? But here's the beauty, friends. If you don't know Christ... Yes, be afraid. Be, be afraid more than I can even communicate. But understand that it's not just out of fear. He's calling you to repent, to come to Him, that He may put you at the right hand of the Father for eternity. To be with Him, to have everything your heart truly desires, which is joy unspeakable in His presence forever. Father, I pray you would help us to hear and believe. Father, I don't believe this. You've got to make me believe. You've got to work into our hearts that we are at your right hand. And those who are not, please call them. 
chains them, raise them from the dead, that they may know the joy that comes in.